Get It A Geek, this is the Get It A Movies crew. A little bit smaller than usual, but uh, we are here to talk about... That's what oh. she said. <laughs> <laughs> that is Maddie Gibson. Welcome, Maddie. Hello. My name is Mitch. We are here to talk war for the planet of the apes. This is our non-spoilers chat. Just a pretty quick review. Get our thoughts out there. Not going to ruin anything because this is the third chapter of it i guess a trilogy maddie so we don't really yeah. really want to spoil anything a because trilogy sequel prequel of what five or six other movies uh, from 20 years ago there were five i think back yeah. then hey if you want to throw in as a little bit of a flavor kicker a bad flavor but the tim burton mark Wahlberg no. one from t- no okay no, we're leaving does. that one yeah. scratch that this is the eighth planet <laughs> of the eighth movie but no spoilers in this whatsoever uh, especially because it is the end of a trilogy uh we're going to have mm. a special all spoilers podcast uh, to follow this one and we we will go into a little bit more detail, and we recommend that you only listen to that when you do watch the movie. This one, whether you have or you haven't, feel free to continue listening. But uh, yeah, we saw this one last night, Maddie. War for the Planet of the Apes. I know we saw Dawn together three years ago. Yeah. I quite liked Rise. It was better than I thought it was going to be. I just thought... Wait, now Rise was the first one? The first one, 2011, the, the, the James, James Franco. Franco. Yeah. And I'd seen the first Planet of the Apes. I think I've seen half of the, the second one, whichever one that's called. I forget how the title's sort of merge in. So many yeah. Yeah, and I just thought, how do you make that concept work as a serious film nowadays? Aside from using CGI instead of, you know, costumes and, and prosthetics and things like that, I just don't know. And the trailers looked like they were taking it seriously, but I just didn't know whether they'd be able to hold that for an entire film. And I remember leaving that and I thought, wow, that was better than it should have been, probably. And I really did like it. Come Dawn, that in 2014 was my favourite movie the whole year. I thought Dawn was an absolute masterpiece. The visual effects in that were absolutely fantastic. Andy Serkis, they keep saying, you know, should they bring in a, a special category in the Oscars for best performance capture um, yeah, well, they'll call it the Andy Circus Award. The Andy Circus Oscar, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> the winner, this year's winner of the Andy Circus Oscar is Andy Circus. Yeah, and anyone that argued against me liking Dawn of the Planet of the Apes so much in 2014, I said, no, go and watch the movie. I don't care if the concept sounds ridiculous. The visual effects make you believe you're actually watching a real freaking ape. And even if you don't, you can see a performance in the eyes and the facial movements, just the way that it all moves. And I know that that is a lot of CGI on top of things, but... Watch behind the scenes, those are real performances. Yeah. But that aside, in a way, a simple story, you know, of, of revenge, betrayal, and survival, and whatever. But I just thought it was done so brilliantly. So I was really looking forward to War for the Planet of the Apes. And it was one of those ones where I'm like, please just be nearly as good as the last one. And for a lot of it, I thought, you know what, War, the worst thing about this movie might be that it's not as good as Dawn. And mm. I can I can live with that. Then the second half of the film really kicks in, and if nothing else, this whole trilogy, yes, we're talking about an ape, has been about character. Yeah. And there is a moment where it really clicks into gear in that second half of War for the Planet of the Apes, where you are so into who this character is, and just the fight, the struggle. You can see we're watching an animated character, and I'm like, God, he looks tired. He looks so drained. I really feel for this bloke. I don't know where it sits between it and Dawn, but this I thought was a great film, a great end to a trilogy. If it is going to stop at a trilogy, I don't think it will because it's going to make money. They're going to want to keep making these until they're shit and they make nothing. But to wrap up whatever story they started telling with Rise, for me now, it can join as big or small as the list may be. 
the list of great movie trilogies. It's yep. fantastic. Definitely, definitely. When when Rise first came out, I don't even think I went and saw it at the cinemas. I maybe saw it on DVD or even... I might have even wait until it was just on like free to air. Because you said you're not a big Franco fan. No, I love Franco, but I not in this role. Yeah, like, and I wasn't. I'd never seen any of the original Apes films. Yeah, Um, I knew about them, but they were obviously, you know, back from the sixties and seventies. They're a bit kitschy, and Mm. I was a bit, you know, I'm not, I'm not into that sort of stuff. And I watched Rise, and I was like, that, like you, that was better than I thought. Mm. That was, you know, and I said, but I wasn't in. I was like, if that's a standalone and it gets cancelled before they can finish off that trilogy, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. And it kind of did stand as its own film anyway. The way that it ended, I'm like, you could not make a sequel to it and mm. then just go, you know what, the story picks up in a thousand years with Charlton Heston's 1968 or whatever yeah. original Planet of the Apes. It introduced enough, enough of the elements that you could extrapolate what happened between the end of Rise and the start of the original Planet of the Apes. You can, you can follow that through. But then, yeah, when we went and saw Dawn back in um, in 2014, I was blown away. Mm. I was in. I mean, and we copped a lot of guff from from our friends and, and workmates and stuff like that about getting excited and telling everyone to go see a movie about a bunch of animated monkeys on horseback <laughs> shooting guns. <laughs> yes. Like, and they were like, "Are you serious?" And I'm like, "I know it sounds ridiculous, but yeah. go and see it." Yeah. And so I was on board. It was because it was one of the most. For 2014, it was one of the most fascinating character dramas of the year. Mm. Like I had to keep reminding myself I wasn't watching a, a real ape and I wasn't watching a human. I was watching this hybrid, this animated hybrid that just conveyed so much emotion and expression that you just get lost in it. Mm. When, uh, you know, in the lead up to, to War of the Planet of the Apes, I actually, for the first time in, in a very, very long time, I didn't watch any trailers. I didn't, oh, really? I didn't read any articles because uh, based purely on uh, Dawn, I went, I'm in. Yeah. I know that I'm in, so I don't need to watch anything. I don't need any spoilers. I want to enjoy it all. I'm just, I'm in. So I know I'm in. My only little niggle in the back of my brain is in Dawn, my favorite parts were the quiet moments. The first half of the film with just the quiet, the, the sign language and the, and the, the it, it was almost like gorillas in the mist taking yeah, yeah, to that yeah. next level, you know? You felt like you were you were watching like a like an ancient tribe with this this beautiful, elegant tribe with culture and, and respect and, and honor. And there was a lot of, you know, uh, action and stuff obviously at the end of that film. And my only concern with war was given that it was war for the planet of the apes, it was gonna defer away from the the character driven moments that I always sort of are drawn towards and it was going to be too much action. Yeah. But it wasn't. Mm. It was that beautiful blending. I mean, it was, it was quite long. It, I say, you know, it could, could have done with maybe 20 minutes of trimming. I don't know where you'd find it. Yeah. Cause everything was gold, but I think there was that, there was enough balance there of some wonderfully nuanced performances, um, of both live action and, um, motion capture, um, actors balanced with, explosions and, and, and big action set pieces. Mm. There's a, there's a moment, uh, when we get a real close up of Maurice's face, Maurice is the big, the, the flat faced orangutan. I don't know the official species of yeah. orangutan. But he's but been he's this since the, big, the start. Yeah. He's the, like the wise old, you know, sage giving Caesar advice, you know, and he's a bit of a pacifist. And, but there's a, there's a moment in the film where he's sort of looking at something and 
we're looking at him examine it. Yeah. And the camera just keeps going in closer. Yeah. And, and lost closer focus and, and, and got focused back again. I'm like, you have to create that lack of focus. Yeah. In in post-production when you're creating that, that character. Yeah, that's not the cameraman stuffing up on the focus puller. That's it added so much to the shot, yeah. I thought. Yeah, and just the, the kindness and curiosity in, yeah. in his face. I was like, that's that's a that's a real orangutan that they're filming right now. Yeah. But it wasn't. Mm. And it it just it blows my mind and is spine tingling and amazing. You know, obviously we know from the original films that eventually the human race almost pretty much dies out or becomes these mindless cattle and, and monkeys take over the world. Mm. But I was rooting for these apes, this yeah. whole film. It's like, I want these guys to... Wait a second, that's going to mean if I was in that world, I'd die. <laughs> uh, I don't care. I want these monkeys yeah. to win. It's a tall order. I think in... You look at, say, sporting movies, and you could probably... You can find yourself, if it's like an international competition, maybe barracking for a country that's not your own because they're the main characters. And But if your country doesn't pop up, like Australia doesn't tend to feature in a lot of you know internationals. Yeah. Like, it wasn't in cool running, so it was okay no. to to, ma- like, to go for Jamaica, Jamaica right? But, um, Blow it, those Americans and Swedes <laughs> out of the water. But then you get this, and it's apes v. humans. And it's a tall order to ask us to completely buy into humans being the bad guys, mm. save for a few exceptions. You know, yeah. we saw that in Dawn where... You had Jason Clark, Kerry Russell, and Cody Smith McPhee as this sort of, you know, broken and put together family that sympathized with the apes from the get go. Even after their first meeting where they were scared, they said the, the apes are not to blame for what's happened to the human race. You know, humans created uh, a medicine that turned into a disease for humans. Apes had no part in it, they benefited from it, mm. but they played no part in what it did to humans. But because it did kill humans, because it had the ape name written on it, humans as we would. And I'm watching this and I, I everything that the humans are doing, I'm like, I understand why you're making these decisions. I understand why you would feel that way. But it, they've done such a, a great job of showing us how, and believably, naive we can be as a species because yeah. this, this movie is based five years after the Dawn and Dawn was based 10 years after Rise. 15 years since all this shit's gone down and, and, and intelligent apes have broken out and started to, you know, establish some kind of revolution, wanting to live on their own, and humans are dying off. Come this film, humans on many levels are still treating these apes like they're just animals in, mm. in, in the wild. And they're not, you know, and but it shows what idiots humans can be. And yeah, you're right, to completely buy into the fact that yeah, I'm I'm in full support of us dying mm. off if it means these guys get to live because they're just trying to live where our guys are being quite evil. Yeah, and, and the main adversary in this film, he has he has a speech and he's right. Mm. He actually predicts everything that's going to happen, you know, in in, in the Charlton Heston Planet of the Apes yep. films. He predicts it. Yeah. You know, and so he's you know, they're they're trying to exterminate these apes out of out of fear for the human race no longer existing. But it, it's it's this wonderful dichotomy of we see these apes that are quote unquote animals. We see them being noble and intelligent and and loving and caring. We see them in a, in a home environment, and then we see humans being they're the animals in this. Yeah. But having said that, there's it's not sort of so black and white in that we see well, obviously in in the, in the last film we saw Cobra. Um, he was an animal. Mm. He was selfish and 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 aggressive. And that's not something that, that the other apes were, were happy to deal with. Like, they didn't want to deal with him. They didn't like that. I mean, in the last film we saw, like you're saying, Kerry Russell and Cody Smith McPhee, they were, you know, enlightened and passionate humans. And then this film we see, we see the Cobra equivalent of humans. 
we see the we see these humans that are animals and they're aggressive and arrogant and it's just such a mind f- yeah. of like just going oh god where am i on this side am i on that side and it's it's just this wonderful philosophical and ideological battle going on in your brain while you're watching this film while you're watching something that's just so beautifully shot yeah and and the soundtrack just, oh the score you for melt this away film into that score I, there were moments in this I'm like, i don't cry a lot in movies the music alone almost made me tear up mm. many points throughout this movie because it, it, it just it was a character unto itself in many scenes and I'm just like, oh my god yeah. oh my god what it takes me back to those real you know like your like your your Star Wars and your your, your older movies where it was a composer mm. got in there and composed a score and a theme and it was there was refrains and and all that sort of thing it took me back to those sort of glory days where yeah. it wasn't just generic synthesized, you know, orchestra music in the background. This was proper giving you that nuance of, you know, you could play this performance of this, you know, this cartoon ape one way, but then the music made you think a little bit different way. Yeah. You know, there was confusion mixed with sadness. There was anger mixed with fear. And obviously given that, you know, most of the apes aside from Caesar don't really talk a lot. They, mm. They still communicate with a lot of sign language, so there's a lot of silence in the film. So you really need that score yeah. to, to help offset that and help help you sort of emotionally propel you through the film. And it's just absolutely phenomenal. It's done. I don't know how to properly pronounce his his name, but as far as it's spelt, uh, Michael Giacchino, and he he's pretty much the John Williams to J.J. Abrams Spielberg. He he's ah. worked a lot with Abrams through Lost and Alias. And uh, his films as well. He he did uh, Star Trek. He did Mission Impossible Three. Uh, he was eyed off for Star Wars Episode Seven until John Williams said, "I'm coming back." And a lot of Star Wars purists said, "Well, okay, Williams is coming back for one last hurrah, and then Giacchino's going to he's the heir apparent." Williams said, no, I'm coming back for episode eight. And then come Rogue One, uh, he wasn't the original choice, but he got brought on very late. I think he had three weeks to com- like write the music wow. for Rogue One. And so, again, a lot of Star Wars purists said the score wasn't there. Where every other Star Wars movie, albeit being a, a saga film, had been composed by John Williams. Giacchino, really? Is he going to be the heir apparent? Like, that's not a great score. But you go, oh, he had three weeks to put that together and then and then, and then then actually perform it and, and have it published, produced, done and printed. It's not as memorable, sure. It was okay, I guess, for the for the movie. If you listen to it more and more, and you and you dive into it, this though, you see what this guy can do when he obviously has a lot more time to work with, and that also goes back to the director as well, Matt Reeves, who did direct Dawn. He didn't direct Rise. That was Rupert Wyatt. Matt Reeves comes in and takes over, and it's like, who's this guy? By the time this movie comes out, it's like, hey, he directed Dawn. Mm. What is he going to possibly do with the next film? Now, for anyone who isn't necessarily into behind-the-scenes stuff and names and trivia, Matt Reeves, the director of Dawn and War for the Planet of the Apes, is going to direct The Batman, probably oh. starring Ben Affleck. Um, <laughs> that's, that's, that's up in the air, although he did say at Comic-Con over the weekend. He goes, no, 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 I'm in. I'm in. Um, but Matt Reeves is uh, directing and also writing the Batman, he's got an idea for a trilogy. He he really wants to take it back and make it a real character piece, a noir detective story of Batman. See, that gets me excited. That got it's... me excited. Anyway, after I saw that movie last night, I'm like, I, what you have done with Caesar in two films, how you've picked mm. up what he was in movie one, developed it in movie two, and then sort of capped off a trilogy, a Caesar trilogy, if you will, I guess. I mean, who knows where it's going to go after this. But the first three films with that character, an ape, 
what do you then do with one of the most famous icons of pop culture in mm. in history? That like that gets me so excited. That was honestly one of the first things I thought of when I walked out of the cinema last night. I'm like, holy shit, that guy's next movie is the Batman. I love Batman. What the fuck is he going to do well, with Batman? It's funny not knowing that. When I came out of the film last night, one of my first things that I said to, to you and Link was, isn't it amazing? Like it, it shows that Dawn wasn't just a fluke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> that, that we can get so engrossed in these motion-captured performances and this beautiful such textured CGI that you really can't tell if you're looking at real real or not. And I mentioned it, it's like, and yet they'll throw shit like Batman v Superman in our face with that horrible rock monster at the end that just was so generic and and you could tell was not there and just was so, just like, yeah, we'll just throw it up and, and that's fine, that's enough. Yeah, because you've got to think, like, while... It's a big franchise, Planet of the Apes. It surely has not got the financial backing behind it that a DC, that a Marvel, that a Star Wars movie has. Because they are surely not. arguably guaranteed billion-dollar movies, right? So then you watch Planet of the Apes. And if it had one of those apes that looked as photo real, you'd be like, well, there's no excuse for anyone else out there doing CGI that it can't look that good. Yeah. When you've got a scene that has 18 apes in it, all different ages, heights, weights... They're different sexes. And they all, honestly, like I come out of that film and I'm like, I know they say that they didn't use in any of the, the, the entire trilogy, they haven't used one real ape. I come out of that movie last night and I'm like, you are fucking lying to me if you tell me there wasn't one animatronic in that. It, yeah. it looked it looked too good. And I'm not, I'm not calling them a liar. I'm just saying that's how good the CGI yeah. is now. There is, there is no excuse anymore when you watch that. That's the pinnacle now. That is the absolute pinnacle that's the bar. They've said it. Yeah. Everyone else take a bow and 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 work from that. Yeah, it's just like that. You you can't you can't slack off when there's stuff like that around. So we know that it's available. Like there's there's no excuse to to you know deliver subpar stuff on these giant you know billion dollar films. Oh, actually, Maddie, if I can maybe bring <laughs> Matt Reeves, the director, down in your books a little bit. Uh. He directed Cloverfield. Oh, now I'm really torn. Wow. Oh, that's funny. Uh, then he also directed... Look, direct, look after hold that, on a second. Well, how long ago was Cloverfield? It was nine years ago. Okay. If you look at like the way I dress now as opposed to the way I dressed nine <laughs> years ago, yeah. I mean, I've come a long way, yeah. I think. Oh, mate, my hair you back know, then, wow. Your hair nine years ago was... Wow. It was like I was when I was six. I don't think my hair's actually changed in the last I've only years, lost but, it. So. But I'm like, you know, when I, when I was fresh out of high school, I was a goth. I had jet black hair. Really? I, I had leather cuffs with studs on, on them around Bull my wrists. shit. I went to like um, punk concerts for like the Ataris yeah. and... And and bands like that. So yeah, you know, I had the 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 chain yeah. on, the, on the black cargoes. <laughs> yeah, that just yeah, went yeah. nowhere. It went from one belt ring to the other yeah. belt ring. It had no purpose. So that was your Cloverfield. Yeah. So yeah. that was my Cloverfield. So I feel like you know if 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 you'd said Matt Reeves had done Cloverfield Lane, I'd probably be a little more <laughs> more it's cons- more recent concerned. and more concerned. Yeah. Um. But if if that was you know we all have skeletons in our closet. We all have <laughs> things we'd like to forget. So As for- Rocky said, if you could change, and I could change, <laughs> we um, could all change. We went from Cloverfield No. 8 to Let Me In, the the remake of the uh, European vampire story, uh, Let the Right One In. It was Let Me In with um, uh, Chloe Grace Moretz, uh, actually Cody Smith-McPhee, who was in Dawn. Um, oh. And then he made uh, Dawn, now he's made War, and looking at his IMDb page, the next thing that he's making is The Batman, and that's just so fucking exciting. Has he done anything between Dawn and War? No. 
See, that's what I like. I feel like, I mean, as much as I am Captain Marvel and I love the Marvel films and, and the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it is almost like, I feel like we're almost getting too much every year, you know? Yeah. Um, And it, it made me realize that, oh, wow, it was 2014 when we saw, when we saw Dawn. And it's like, I feel like it did so well critically and I think it did pretty well financially as well. Um, I'm amazed they didn't try and churn it out earlier, like and just pump it out to try and sort of build on the on the success from from Dawn. So I'm really glad that they took some time. I mean, even um, uh, the the new Star Wars films, they're coming sort of two years apart with a, you know a different movie in between. Yeah. So it's like three years um, from from Dawn. I can really respect that that they've taken their time, worked on the script, worked on the performances to give us something that is. Again, not something that people are going to go and necessarily see when they see, you know, animated monkeys on horseback with guns. Yeah. But it's just a, an amazing um, character piece. I was actually at the um, at my local barber the afternoon, like yesterday afternoon before we were heading in there. And um, I said I was headed to a, headed to, a, to an event screen. I said, oh, oh, have you heard much about that atomic blonde coming up? It was, mm. two, it, was two, it was two women in the barber. And I said, well, funny enough, you say that, that was the choice we had of the night is... Do we go and see Atomic Blonde or do we go and see Planet of the Apes? And they said, oh, Planet of the Apes? What's Because, you know, women in there probably, you know, late 40s or something like that. There's a couple mm. of them there. Are you, you know, and they went, oh, Planet of the Apes, what's that? And I said, oh, it's, you know, cartoon monkeys on horseback with guns fighting. fighting." <laughs> and they're like, yeah, that Atomic Blonde looks really good, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, Atomic Blonde is out, uh, I think, in a week. And we, we aren't at this stage reviewing it uh, as a show, but you should go and check that out. Uh, it's from the director of uh, John Wick, one of the directors, and uh, Charlize Theron in the 80s. Great soundtrack, just kicking ass. Phenomenal trailer. As a, uh, as a female um, secret agent type. So, uh, yeah, it's it's cool. Go, go check it out. Mm. While we mentioned the Marvel and DC thing, someone who is in Marvel and that is in this film, and we haven't really mentioned him yet in this review, which is weird because he's the main star, Andy Serkis, but like we did with Spider-Man a few weeks ago, we didn't really mention Tom Holland for most of our review because it's like, well, after Civil War, we know he's got a handle yeah, on the character and he nailed it. Andy Serkis is fantastic. Like, again, while a lot of CG is applied to his face... You can see the performance there. You can see moments where the performer has lingered on a look or delivering a line in a way that probably wasn't in the direction, but it was how they felt at the time. Mm. It was an alternative take. And the animators have had to work with it. You can see the performance yeah. here. And and he It's that old adage about, you know, as as an actor, it's like give the camera a reason to cut to you. you yeah. Know, in a group situation when you're doing coverage of different characters, give give the editor a reason to to get a reaction yeah. shot from you. And that's that's what, what Circus does best is he's he's always on. He's not just like just chilling out, waiting with, while someone else is saying their lines, just waiting to hear, you know, waiting for his cue to get his mm. next line. He's in it. And mm. he's, you know, he's he's completely immersed in, in the character. And there really is two sides to his performance in this film more than ever before because he is talking a lot more, mm. whereas it used to be much more about the body language and, and how he handled himself visually. Whereas now he has to use a lot more dialogue to, to get that across. And mm. even that side of his character, I can hear how exhausted and frustrated the character is in his voice, more so than the last mm. movie. And that applied to the way that he carries himself in his performance visually. He's, he's fantastic. And I know, like I said, we haven't spoken about him at all in the, in the podcast so far, which is really weird, but he 
leading the charge for performance capture uh, in in mm. mainstream movies. And there's a reason for it. There's a reason why he was Gollum, why he come back and did King Kong, and then they bring him back to do to do this. Why he? I mean, he's in Star Wars as well. He's Snoke. He's doing yeah. the performance capture of another human. Like anyone can do that. No, not anyone. Get Andy Serkis on the phone. We need that guy because he he is able to emit so much yeah. voice just in the way that he moves his and, body. So he's and, fantastic. And it evolved from the last film oh, as well. Oh, God, yes. Caesar was so much more human in this film. Mm. The way he walked was much more upright, shoulders back. I yep. remember watching some um, some special features and saying Andy Serkis actually requested his, his wrists and his ankles be weighted. Oh, my God. In the in, in Dawn. Yeah. To sort of, so he could have that sort of, you know, it, it lowered his center of gravity. Yeah. To walk more like an ape. This film, I feel like he was much more upright. He was talking in much less... Uh, broken English, yeah, and his yeah his expressions and and his, his his the tone in his voice was so much more human. So it's like he's evolving this process, which makes sense, you know, mm. um, throughout throughout the actual in story universe. Yeah, he's, oh, and what he's happens a freak to of nature? Yeah, what happens to Caesar in this story is. Well, it's it's the worst thing that's ever happened to him. So many more bad things happen to mm. him in war than has in Dawn, which is obviously much worse than in Rise. And you really start to you, you need to feel for the character, and you do, yeah. uh, and and that's all thanks to Andy Circus, the, the wonderful animators, brilliant direction by Matt Reeves, who also did write the script. It's fantastic. What a what a great end to, at this stage, the trilogy of of the apes, as it may be, whatever is going to come after, we'll soon see. But for right now, it's just such a brilliant movie. It's out now. Go check it out. Um, I don't even really want to do a star rating yet. We might say that for our spoilers chat, so you can come back once you've seen the film, uh, see if you agree with us in spoilers. Again, don't listen to spoilers unless you have seen the film because I'm going to spoil it straight up. (laughs) So I'm not even going to give you any time, no no chances. But do come back. It'll be uploaded after this one, and uh, you can go check it out. In the meantime, War for the Planet of the Apes. Go check it out. And if you haven't seen the first two, you don't necessarily have to go back and rewatch. It's really clever in the opening scenes. They kind of give you a catch-up. Mm. There's a catch-up moment at the start that gives you all the basic information that you need to just hit the ground running with this film and know what's going on. Yeah. So don't feel like you've got to go back and watch the other ones. Or if even, you do, or even rewatch Dawn. Yes. You can probably skip Rise because it is. It, I, I feel like it's very much its own film. Whereas, and and Dawn is in itself its own film separate to Rise, but War is very much a sequel to Dawn. Yeah. And you can pretty much catch up if you just start at dawn. So, uh, yeah, if, if indeed you are listening to us wanting to be convinced to go and see Planet of the Apes because it sounds ridiculous. You will it might be, it. but it's sci-fi at its best because it makes you believe it's got so much to do with the way people treat each other, except in this sense, it's the way people treat apes. And it, you can see social issues on in this movie as long as you see past the fact that it's freaking apes that talk and shoot guns. I was doing the same thing. I was applying, you know, the way the humans were looking at apes is the same way people in, in the world today look at other ethnic groups yes, yeah. and other religious groups and stuff like that. It's It's such an amazing... And that's what I love about really good sci-fi is the way it can really make you think about that sort of stuff in a um, in a non-conventional way. Yeah. Well, go check it out. War for the Planet of the Ace. We'll have our full spoilers chat up a little bit later on. In the meantime, you can catch us on the socials, uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, just simply at Get Into Geek. You can drop us a line, getintogeek at gmail.com or check out all of our old podcasts, TV, movies as well. Uh, last couple of movies, we've had Spider-Man up there as well. Plenty more to come up. Uh, subscribe and listen to Get Into Geek uh, on iTunes and SoundCloud, uh, myself, Mitch underscore Lewis, Twitter and Instagram, Maddie. Uh, at my bitch, Maddie on Instagram. Okay, catch us back for a spoiler chats. War for the Planet of the Apes. It's in cinemas now. Get into geek.com.